Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. That's what I want to talk to you about today, the blessing, and you can be seated. Very seldom do I base a message on a single book, but I want to make you aware of this because this month we're talking about family. And there is a book entitled The Blessing, and it's been most recently revived and revised in 2011 and revived today uh, for this message. We live in a broken, hurting world, and there are three vital relationships that you need to go to work on and get right. The first relationship is between you and God. And you cannot bridge the gulf between you and God, but He bridged that gap by coming to earth, dying for your sins, and giving you the promise of salvation. So by turning from your sins and repentance, being baptized in water in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, when God's Spirit comes in you, it makes you a son or daughter of God. The Bible said it is by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that we are able to call Him Abba Father. Now the word Abba is like Daddy to us. We're able to have a close relationship with our Heavenly Father because of the plan of salvation. And if you've never come to know Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit through repenting of your sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can do that today. You don't have to wait 10 years for that. And it brings you into a right relationship with God. And if you've already done that, you've already come into that relationship but you've walked away, you've strayed, you can restore that relationship today. The most important relationship in the world is your relationship with God. And it forms the basis for every other relationship that matters in life. The second relationship that you need to go to work on is the relationship you have with yourself. Now I'm not talking about uh, hedonistic, selfish, self-centered The Bible said that we were made in the image of God. That we are to love our neighbors as ourself. Now, if you love everybody else the way you love yourself, some people may be in a lot of trouble. Leviticus said it. Jesus said it. The Apostle Paul repeated it. James called it the royal law that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe the reason we treat others so poorly is because of the way we think of ourselves. Maybe the way we were treated growing up has affected the way we see ourselves. In the Messenger article I wrote, that we tend to reproduce what produced us. So if you were brought up in a way, if there was not nurture, maybe you were jerked up instead of raised, maybe you don't have too high of an opinion of yourself. Now the Bible says that we should not think too highly of ourselves, I understand that, but as we ought to think, there is a proper understanding that God loved me, died for me, redeemed me, made me His son, made you His son or daughter, and because of that I have the status as a son of God. 
So I can look in the mirror and with all of my imperfections, with all of my shortcomings, I can say, God loved me, so I need to accept who I am. Every one of us grew through our tumultuous teenage years. And for me, I know this is shocking now, but for me, I was the shortest kid in the class. And I had such a hard time understanding that God made me like that and it was okay. But I can talk about that now because that does not define me. I learned that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily and that you are complete in Him. Amen. So I don't have to be incomplete because I am not perfect in any way, but my completeness comes through my relationship with God. You need to not fall in love with yourself, but you need to accept yourself. And you need to come to a good understanding of who you are because you tend to treat other people the way you view yourself. The third relationship, of course, is the relationship between you and other people. Uh, beginning with the spouse if you're married, children if you have children, parents if you're a son or daughter and your parents are living. There are other significant people in your life. And if you have a right relationship with God, when you get a right relationship with yourself, you have the equipment to bring forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation, and healing between you and the important people in your life. Someone said the problem I'm having with me is a problem I'm having with you. And if you get right with God and get right with yourself, you will have the tools to get right with other people. The blessing, the blessing. There are five components of the blessing. Uh, And this is in the book, and I'm going to summarize in a message today. But the first is meaningful and appropriate touching. Secondly, spoken words of blessing. Thirdly, expressing a high value to the person you want to bless. Fourthly, is picturing a special future. And fifth, is an active commitment. Now there's a biblical basis for this. In the original days, Isaac blessed Jacob, his son. He even had a blessing for Esau who came and missed the first part of the blessing. When Isaac, old Isaac, whose eyes are dim, and he has Jacob in his presence, he says to his son, come near to me and kiss me. They sat down to a meal together. He spoke words of blessing, prophetic words of blessing over him and he talked about the commitment that God had to his life. What an amazing story of the biblical form of blessing. Those biblical patriarchs passed on the blessing God gave to them, to their sons, by laying hands on them, by speaking prophetic words over them, by embracing them, by picturing a special future, and they had an active Commitment to the person being blessed. Meaningful touch, spoken blessing, special future active commitment. In the early days of Judaism, when a rabbi would be there, their local pastor for all practical purposes, children would come to church and they would actually bend down and put their head toward the rabbi so they could come and he would lay his hands on them and bless them. You may remember that in the ministry of Jesus, that parents brought their children to Jesus that he might 
touch them and that he might pray over them according to Matthew 19.13. Touching, speaking, blessing. See, this blessing is extremely important because blessing brings acceptance into the family of God. The understanding that God loves you and He is committed to you. Your father, earthly father, loves you, is committed to you. Your mother, your earthly mother, loves you and is committed to you. This is extremely important. Because if we are not accepted by those who should accept us, we will go with whoever will accept us. It's called peer pressure. They're called gangs. It's a life of promiscuity where a young man or woman who is rejected in their home seeks to find the affection and love that they did not find in their home. When we were youth pastors, there was a young girl in our youth group. There was a popular country song at that time, looking for love in all the wrong places. She said, that's the story of my life. And it always has been the story of Tammy's life. An eagle fell out of its nest, a little eaglet. And got separated from his family, so the parable goes. It's kind of lost. No family. A drove of turkeys came by and discovered the lonely eaglet and adopted him into their family. So, lost acceptance, gained acceptance, got adopted by a little turkey family. And so, he grew up imitating the motions and actions and feeding habits of turkeys. He would peck around on the ground for seeds and insects and he would fly in a brief flurry of wings. He was just an eaglet turned turkey. Someone told me that they hoped that they did not have him for Thanksgiving dinner. He clucked and tried to gobble the best he could, but you know, he looked up in the sky one day and saw an eagle soaring and thought to himself, my, I wish I could be like that. There are a lot of people that have been adopted by a surrogate family, a gang, a group of people who have welcomed them in because they did not find acceptance in their homes. I want you to know that you belong to God, that you're His daughter, you're His son, that you're loved by Him. He's a good, good father. Amen. And I'm not sure how good of a father you had In earthly terms. But your heavenly father loved you unconditionally and still does to this day. He loved you and died for you when you were dead in your sins. He loves you. And I don't want to see you try to find acceptance and love in all the wrong places when God wants you to be a part of his body, the church. Now, no matter who you are, you're seeking for this. It's just part of our lives that we want to know that we are loved unconditionally and that we're valued and there's something about us that is worth loving. So, so many people are awkward in relationships and are aloof from their spouses and children. But I want to help you be better at receiving the blessing and giving the blessing to your spouse, to your children, to the important people in your life. So let's talk about the five elements of the blessing. Meaningful and significant touching is very important. It's part of the blessing. 
Promiscuous men and women have repeatedly told researchers that their sexual activity was just merely a way of trying to satisfy the yearnings to be touched and held. I could go into more detail about this, but it needs to start very young. From the time, if you're a parent, especially you men, you have a little baby that you're awkward with, you're afraid you're going to break her, but hold her and embrace her and hold her close and let her know that you love her, physical Touch is very powerful and it should be part of what we do with our children. Amen? Meaningful and appropriate touching. Never quit touching your children. As they grow up, teenage years, it may seem a little awkward. One person said, don't ever believe that your kids don't want to talk. They may not want to talk now. They may not want to talk about what you want to talk about. But they need to know that you love them and you need to embrace them. This was illustrated to my wife and me in a very powerful way. When our third son, Justin, was born, my wife had C-section, was in another hospital. Justin was transferred to Children's Hospital in St. Louis, defective heart valve, probably not going to live. And procedures, and I've told this story before, so I'll just kind of cut to this one point. He's in pediatric ICU. They tell me your son is probably not going to live. We cannot hold him in our arms. He is laid out there in the bed. I was looking at pictures of him this week with hoses and tubes everywhere. He's laying there and you can't hold him. So I'd rub his back. My wife's in another hospital for the first few days. I would touch his hands and I would, I would rub his fingers like this, the palm of his hand rather, and I would sing to him, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And I would rub his back and I would rub his hands. Justin got old enough to walk. He's home. He survived. He's, he's, you know, grown through this just a little bit. And one day we're sitting there together. My wife, Justin, and me. I don't know if Ryan and Joel were there. And Justin held out his hand and said, rub my hand. Where did that come from? I haven't done that to you since you were laying in the, in the infant bed there in pediatric intensive care unit because when you came home we hugged you as much as we could but something about that physical touch registered in his subconscious and he did not forget that we're amazed by that and for Justin growing up as a little kid when he was kind of stressed out or wanted some affection from his mom or dad he would hold his hand out and rub his hand that meant something to him never discount the power a physical, appropriate touching. I'm talking about hugging your children. I'm talking about sharing affection, being free with that. Genesis, uh, Isaac said to his son, Come near me now, my son, and kiss me. An affectionate Jewish kiss on the cheek was the way that it was expressed. Now today is Valentine's Day, and I hope I don't have to tell you men to kiss your wives and in the Bible, physical touch was laying on of hands. The, imparta- the identification and impartation of spiritual blessing and power and so many things that it was used for in the Bible. One third of your five million touch receptors are in your hands. Hands are very powerful physiologically to touch, to convey affection and to receive 
affection from other people, both the person being touched and the person who is being touched. And remember, appropriate touching is being blessed. There are studies about this and about the hemoglobin level that increases and the oxygen and the well sense of well-being that comes from physical touch. I read that type A men would live two years longer if they would hug their wives several times a day. There was a husband and wife that were going through marital counseling. They evidently really needed it. The wife was feeling alienated from her husband. I don't know the details, but evidently he was not raised in a family where there was a lot of physical affection. And for men, non-sexual touching may be a challenge for them to understand that his wife needs that. And so the counselor stood up from his chair, walked over to the wife. He gave her a, a hug. And then he looked back at the husband and said, your wife needs hugs like this at least three times a week. And this clueless husband looked at the counselor and said, well, I can get her here on Mondays and Wednesdays. (laughs) He said, but I go fishing on Friday, so, you know, that's out of the question. That's it. It's just a little anesthesia to help the knife go in easier. Everybody say appropriate physical touching. You've got to do it. The second thing is is, is spoken words of blessing. Now I know when we were kids, when I was a kid, we said sticks and stones, you know, may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. We were bluffing then, and it's still a lie. Because the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. More powerful than sticks and stones are the words we speak. Now, someone on the interstate that cusses you out on the way to work because you accidentally cut them off, that doesn't go very deep with you. But if it's your father, it goes deep. If it's your mother, it goes deep. Words are so powerful to shape destinies. James said it like this, that we take a bit and put it in the mouth of a horse, and we can control a horse by his mouth. James said that words are like the rudder of a ship. Whatever direction the rudder turns determines the destination of the ship. Your words are like rudders that steer the people that you love toward their destiny. And death and life are in the power of your tongue. So when you speak demeaning words, when you speak harsh, critical words, when you scream and yell, when you say, trying to motivate, when you say you'll never amount to anything, you are prophesying of sorts to that person. You are turning the rudder and aiming a life in a direction that will determine their destiny. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. A man in our church told me, he was here this morning in the first service and told me between services, Brother Johns, my dad never told me he loved me and he did not show me any physical affection. He would write it in a card. 
But he said, by the time I was six years old, I thought there was something wrong with me that I didn't fit in. I didn't know what in the world was wrong with me. He said, I ended up needing counseling. I turned to drugs and alcohol. He said, my life was so messed up because I did not perceive the love of my father. I am saying to every one of us today that life and death are in the power of the tongue. That your words are rudders that steer the lives of people around you. So choose wise words and say, I love you. If anyone would have never heard, needed to hear the words, I love you and I'm proud of you, it would have been Jesus, perfect life, perfect man. But when he was baptized of John the Baptist, he came out of the water. And there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. To the perfect man, God Almighty spoke to the man, Christ Jesus, and said, in case anybody wonders, this is my Son. I claim him. He's mine. I love him and I am pleased with him. Now can I tell you that the people that are important in your life cannot overdose on I love you. They cannot get too much of I believe in you. I'm pleased with you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know there's a lot of imperfection in them. Of course, none in you. I know there's a lot to criticize. I know there's a lot of progress to be made. But you'll never make that progress by condemnation and criticism. You're just making it too difficult. You're raising the bar so high they can never get there. Well-meaning fathers and mothers have said you'll never amount to a hill of beans thinking that that would motivate. But it was just a rudder steering a ship in the wrong direction to say, I'm a failure. My mom and dad don't even believe in me. Surely I can never be anything. But God himself said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it's not too late for you to change the way you talk to the people in your life. It's not too late for you to learn that even though you never heard those words, even though you may have never spoken those words, I feel like some people say, well, I'm going to admit that I've been wrong. That would be a wonderful thing to do. To admit that I should have been doing this all along, but nobody told me this. I don't know how to do this. I'm telling you how to do this. It goes like this. I love you. I believe in you. I'm so happy with you. Sure, imperfection, but you can make the bar so high. You can make the the net and the rim so small that no one can ever make a shot, never be successful. You've got to learn to say, I love you, that I'm pleased with you, that I believe in you. Speak it in sincerely and speak the truth in love because it's like a prophecy into the life of a person that you love them. I read about Mean Mike who lived up to his name. What about a nickname like that? Mean Mike, how would you like to be... The kid that your parents called Mean Mike. When Justin and Teresa were expecting their child, Teresa liked the name Eric. That's a wonderful name. We baptized Eric last week. Justin said, I don't know. He said, that, that Eric sounds just like a name of a mean person for some reason to me. He told Teresa that, and he told my wife and I that one day. I said, Justin, when you were a little kid, Ray Stevens had a song called Eric the Awful. There's nothing wrong with the name Eric. You just have something in your mind about that name. 
But if that's going to bother you, don't call your boy Eric. Call him Rhett, you know, because you want to speak to him, you know. It's amazing how we get stuff in our head, right? Everybody say spoken words of blessing. Amen. The third element of the blessing is to express high value. Now, values are determined by a price paid. You can go to the store, they can mark an expensive item down to almost nothing, pay a cheap price even though it's worth a lot. <clears throat> but the price tag you put on an item determines its price. What person someone is willing to pay determines the value, right? And while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ shed his innocent perfect blood so you could be saved. So for you... And for me, God said, you're worth my blood. I love you so much. He said, well, I was a sinner. Exactly. I wasn't worth it. Exactly. But when God placed that price tag on you of his precious blood, he's that, you're that valuable to him. And while your children and your spouse are imperfect, you need to put a value on them that you believe in them, that you love them. You need to show it in your relationship with them, in the time you spend with them, and what you picture for them. You've got to restore that value. Take that time. Say those words. Give those hugs. My pastoral mentor, Brother Kraft, never let broken things bother him. He taught me that people are more important than things. Don't ruin a relationship because a kid broke a vase in the house. That's not something to be upset about in the grand scheme of things if you're going to lose your cool and make them feel like a loser over that. Sure, deal with misbehavior, but you've got to be careful of how you treat them. Attach a high value to them. My good friend David Reaver and I used to look at great men that we admired and, and we would come up with a word that described them. We would say that, you know, Jonathan Urshan reminds us of peace. He's just so comfortable with himself. And Brother Merle Ewing, he's such a compassionate man. And T.L. Kraft, when you see him, you just think of love. And C.M. Beckton, he's just such a man of integrity, impeccable integrity. And we would kind of sum up people and say, these are the positive traits. Now, believe it or not, you and I have a lot of negative traits. But you need to focus with your children, on your spouse, on people that are important to you. You need to focus on the positive traits of them to build them up. Because all of us will succeed or fail based on what we do with our strengths. I'm not talking about immorality or sin. I'm talking about your personality strengths. God was good to me and He let me be left-handed. <clears throat> There's a few other blessed people in the house. I could spend endless hours learning to write with my right hand. But it's got weakness and this is a lot easier for me. Why would I want to spend my life focusing on my weaknesses instead of on my strengths? I have a few strengths and I ought to go with my strengths. And with your children, you need to find their strengths and focus on them and attach high value to them and say, hey, you can, that's a good, that's your strength. Don't worry about that weak stuff that they're not good at. Don't, don't highlight that. Focus on their strengths and attach high value to the things that they do well. Stoke their strengths. Don't soak them. Amen. 
If they've got compassion, they may be a little gushy and sentimental. If they're analytical, they might be picky. If they've got a lot of confidence, they may appear to be conceited at times. If they've got courage, maybe at times they seem to be reckless. If they're creative, maybe they daydream. If they're decisive, maybe they seem to be inflexible. If they're real disciplined, maybe they come across as rigid or harsh. If they're very efficient, maybe you think they're a perfectionist. If they have a lot of enthusiasm, maybe at times they come across as fanatical. You know, all of these strengths have corresponding weaknesses, but focus on the strength and attach high value to what they're good at. (laughs) Jacob used word pictures to describe his children. He said, Judah is like a lion. What if you're Judah and your dad says, you're like a lion. All of a sudden, Judah's like, man, I'm like a lion. He said, you're like a lion crouching down from the prey. Well, that meant something to Judah. What if you're Naphtali? He's like a deer that's running loose. What if you're Joseph and he said, you're like a fruitful bough. Your your limbs go over the wall. You're going to be so blessed, it's going to go beyond your borders. And Joseph has this word picture in his mind of high value. Picturing this high value, excuse me, placing a high value. Fourth element of the blessing. Picturing a special future. Would you say it? Picturing, <clears throat> excuse me, now, I've already made this point, but it is easy to try to motivate from a negative point of view, but it doesn't work. Unkind kidding can stick. You've heard the expression, there's much truth in jest. And sometimes people are poking at you when you think they're poking fun, Poking and fun, but they're really picking at you. And so you need to picture a special future for your children. That's what Isaac did. That's what Jacob did. He saw where their children could go. And he set the trajectory for their lives by speaking into their future. You need to say to your kids, with God... Nothing shall be impossible. They need to memorize, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are examples of gifts in the Bible, Romans 12. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing kindness or mercy. We have spiritual gifts and we should picture a special future and never... Undermine that. <clears throat> when our boys were really young, Ryan, Joel, and Justin, we lived in St. Louis and we were coming home from a children's revival, as I recall. It was a wonderful moment. I got to be home. That's a wonderful moment back in those days. I had to travel a lot. We're riding in our minivan, you know, three boys, and Ryan's talking, oldest son. He says, You know what I want to be when I grow up? I'm like, no, Ryan, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, it starts with a P. Wow, that's awesome, Ryan, but, but I don't get it. I'm playing dumb, you know, I don't get it, Ryan. What do you want to be when you grow up? And Ryan says, P-R. I'm like, uh, you know, playing dumb. I still don't get it, Ryan. What do you want to be when you grow up? And Ryan says, Dad, P-R-E. 
Well, I don't want to say that. Made up my mind. I'll never call my boys to preach. Ryan, I don't get it. What do you want to be when you grow up? He said, Dad, the president. Now, do you think my wife and I said, Oh, Ryan, don't aim so high, son. You could never be the president. We could use a good president, right? You'll never be the president. No, we didn't say that. No, I don't know if Ryan will ever be the president. But one thing he knew that day is mom and dad believed he could. I want you to set your trajectory really high. Joel said, you know what I want to be when I grow up? You know, we're going to let everybody get in on the act. No, Joel, what do you want to be? He said, preacher. That was good. He ran from it for a while, but here he is. God finally caught him. Preacher's kids have a tough time with being a preacher. Justin, he's just a little bitty kid barely talking. Justin, you know, we want to include him. He's pretty quiet. What do you want to be when you grow up? He said, an alligator. So there you have it, our family, the president, the preacher, and an alligator. (laughs) Picturing a special future. The Jewish families, they would say, well, this is Reuben, he's my little lawyer. This is Asher, my doctor. When he grows up, he's going to be a medical doctor. They pictured a special future. That's why they would lay hands on their children and bless them and speak prophetic words into them like the rudder of a ship that would steer them. There has to be a picture of a special future. You can make a difference in the world. You just go back and study Jewish history. I'm not talking about Bible history, but go all the way through and the professionals and the businessmen and the wealthy people because they have a culture that brings you up and believes in you and says you can be something. We need to be more like that. Fourth element of the blessing, an active commitment. An active commitment. You can give your kids a hug. You can say the right things. You can say I attach a high value, although these are connected. You can say I believe you can be the President of the United States of America. But if you're never there, if you're never engaged, if you're never locked into them, The act of commitment is what makes it all work. In our family, I'm blessed with such a wonderful wife who is a keeper at home. She is the world's greatest mom, my friend told me. I believe that. But there was dinner time and there was family time and there's family night and special memories and trying to have our kids do lots of different things to let them kind of find themselves. An active commitment. Shane, my cousin's here today. Your dad told me when my kids were going into their teenage years, Uncle Alan said, I tried to get interested in what they were into. Shane and and Shannon were into baseball cars, and so I got interested in baseball cars. Shauna might have been into something different, but whatever they were into, he took an interest in them. 
The writer of the book, The Blessing, said my mom had on her shelf all kinds of different books. She had books about uh, theology and medical books and, and books about science. And she also had books about heavy equipment because her boys were into those things. And each son she saw. Jacob prophesied over his boys and he conveyed an act of commitment to them because that's what really matters. Lots of hugs, lots of good words, picturing a special future, right? Attaching high value, but this act of commitment. Just because you're around doesn't mean you're engaged. I have a little saying. The reason I have this saying is because I need this saying. And I don't always practice what I'm preaching about this. But I say be where you're at when you're there. I'm a pretty busy guy. It's easy for me to be distracted and engaged. And nowadays, my dear brothers and sisters, this little device right here keeps more families apart than probably anything and all the other media devices that keep you somewhere else than the people that are in the room with you. I'm not preaching against telephones, for God's sake, but I'm preaching for families. I'm preaching for conversations. I'm preaching about an active commitment, about being where you're at when you're there because it matters more than you can even imagine. The gift of time. Someone said that a man influenced my life because he gave me what no one else ever gave me. He gave me the time of day. And when he gave me the time of day, I realized that that person believed in me. It's very important that you show an active commitment. I look back when I was thinking about this. My mom was always so cool. Three boys, a sister, a daughter. You know, we'd come home from fishing and my mom would be out there taking pictures. She's going to be a part of making sure the fish are clean, frying fish, fresh fish. She wanted to be a part of what her kids were into. And whatever we've ever done, my mom and dad both made sure that they were part of that. When you want to know about your kids, you can ask yourself, what do they daydream about? What do they think about what they want to be when they're a young adult? Who's the person they would like to be most like? What do they believe that God wants them to do for other people? What type of guys are they attracted to if she's a girl? What type of boys is she attracted to or girls? You know, I'm talking about guys, girls, girls, guys. Please don't confuse that. I will say we live, in a, we live in a fallen world and if there's a wrong attraction then you need to know about that too. I'm not trying to be unkind or cruel but you need to know about that too. God wired you a certain way but your culture can rewire you and you can be wired the wrong way and think that it's the way God made you but God never made you miswired. All right. Here we are today And the last thing I want Is for somebody to feel like such a loser That you can never do this Because all of us have a little dysfunction in us We all need a little help And some of us need a lot of help And if you grow up If you grew up without the approval of your father and mother, and especially the approval of a father. 
If you've not heard, I love you, I believe in you, then I want you to understand there's probably a gaping hole in your heart that God would love to come and fill today. Because the basis of every other relationship is getting it right between you and God. Sometimes in the sincere attempt for a parent to help you be your best, they may have put the bar too high, maybe spoken critically instead of words of affirmation. Maybe you grew up and you were jerked up instead of nurtured. And we all pay the price for the imperfections of our parents. But today, right now, why don't we just draw a line in the sand and say, with God's help, I can do better than that. I can change the way I am. Not easy, but I can change the way I am. And today, I believe that the God who loved you when you were a sinner wants to come to where you are right this minute and bring healing into your life. Would you bow your heads? In the name of Jesus Christ, I come right now, Lord. And there are wonderful people in this room right now that have an aching in their heart because of the deficits of their parents. The lack of love, the lack of acceptance, the lack of blessing. There are people, Lord, that feel like they are are kind of leashed to something that they cannot escape. A stake in the ground that holds them back and pulls them back to their past. But I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you, Lord, would be in this room right now and that you would visit us and you would let us understand that we are accepted in the beloved, that your blood, has given us a right standing with you and that we are beloved of God and that you, O Lord, are a good, good Father. I want you to pray right now your own prayer to God. Maybe it's a prayer that you need to hear from Him or maybe it's a prayer you need to pray that God would help you be better in your relationships with other people. But would you lift your voices right now and would you pray? the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray right on out loud. God, I pray that you would help. Just pray this way. Lord, help me show proper physical affection to the people in my life. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help me. Oh, Lord God, convey to others, Lord, what I really feel for them. Lord God, for the lacking in our own lives, I pray that we would feel the love of God. The words of affirmation, Lord, and blessing. The high value that you have for us, we should have for others. The special future that you prepared for us. You said, I go away to prepare a place for you. You gave us hope, God, of a special future that you had planned for us. 
And oh God, I pray in Jesus' name that help us understand that you have an active commitment to us. That no matter where we've been or what we've done, that you're standing waiting for us to come back home to you. And help us, oh Lord God, whatever rudder has been in our life that has steered our destiny, I pray that the love of God would steer us back to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. But you look this way. The prodigal son had the perfect father. His father is typical of God. But he still was rebellious in his heart. And he said, give me what belongs to me. I'm hitting the road. He took his inheritance and went out and wasted it in crazy, riotous party living. His friends deserted him. Got a job feeding pigs. That's no job for a Jewish boy. He was hoping that the farmer would feed him the husk of the grain that was fed to the hogs. Nobody would give him anything. He was left out there just to come to himself. And when he did, he said, you know what? This is a crazy way to live. My father's servants have better than me. And he said, I will arise and I will go to my father. And I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against you. I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He got up and he went back home. I don't know how far it was, but he had been in a far country. So he probably had a lot of time to think while he was walking back home. When the prodigal got near the house, there was a father that was waiting and watching. His commitment was active, waiting for his lost son that he did not know was even dead or not would come back home. Before the boy ever got back to the house, the Bible says that the father ran to where he was, embraced him, kissed on him. The boy couldn't even get all the words out of his mouth before the father restored him to sonship again. Your heavenly father has an active commitment to you. And wherever you are today, he's ready to welcome you back home and restore your relationship with Him. In a moment, we're all going to come to this area to pray, our altar area. And I would like for you to maybe take off every mask you might be wearing today and be vulnerable to God and say, I need a good, good Father. I need a Father that's actively involved in my life. More than anything, God, would you help me be like you and would you help me come home to you Would you stand and would you take steps this way out into the aisle, down to the altar? Everyone that can, why don't you come to a good, good father?